The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. How many people are reading along? You don't have to raise your hand because I know everyone would raise their hand. Reading along in Romans, it's very important that you follow along. There are so many truths in this incredible book that there's no way that we will cover it all in here. And we are praying that God will do an awesome work in our church through the study of Romans. And a big part of that will be you being faithful to to read along, read the scriptures before you come. Uh, We are on, as you will see in here, September 13th, Romans 1, 18 through 32. If you've read that this week, then you know what what an amazing passage we are looking at today. And hopefully you brought a friend each week. I'm praying that you are bringing a friend or inviting a friend uh, for this great, great study of Romans. The gospel is revealed through the book of Romans so clearly. Uh, It's the greatest gift that you could give a friend. So hopefully you brought a friend and you're reading along today. We're going to be looking at Romans 1, 18 through 32, and we see Paul describing the scene of his world, what's going on around him. And so it made me think of all that's going around us in our world. I'm going to read you just a few headlines that I found on the internet from May, June, July, and August. So this is as current, as relevant as it gets. On May 29th, the Daily Mash headline said, Professional football sickened by FIFA's culture of greed. June 27th, CNN's headline, The Supreme Court rules in favor of same-sex marriage nationwide. July 15th, CBS headline, Planned Parenthood accused of selling aborted body parts. August 26th, Wall Street Journal headline, TV shooting claims lives of reporter, cameraman, gunman kills self. August 31st, International Business Times headline, Ashley Madison Hack, cheating website still growing despite leak. August 31st, ABC headline, quote-unquote, pigs in a blanket chant at Minnesota Fair riles police. How do you react to these headlines? I mean, that's just a few simple, easy clicks of a button. I didn't have to dig for those massive headlines. How do we process what in the world is going on? How do we think about this? How do we make sense of the rampant ungodliness and unrighteousness that we see in our Twitter feeds every day bombarding us, in our newspapers, on the internet? Some have outrage, some have anger, some have activism, some have compassion, some have all sorts of possible reactions. Every day, our headlines, our news feeds are filled with outrageous news that many of us would never have imagined we would ever see or hear in our lifetime. The world around us is filled with ungodliness and unrighteousness. People seem to be inventing new kinds of evil. 
And evil and wickedness is not only practiced, but it's receiving hearty approval. It's celebrated. What are we to think about this? How are we supposed to process these things? How are we supposed to feel and respond to what we see going on around us? Well, my prayer is that today, by looking at Romans 1, 18 through 32, we will learn how Paul responded to what he saw going on around him. We will learn the heart of God as we learn how to respond to what we see going on around us. Father God, I ask for your help this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit will move powerfully in our hearts that will produce within us the same type of heart that we see Paul had that will give us the mind of Christ to process and properly respond to what we see going on around us in the world today. It's in Christ that I ask this. Amen. All right, so let's look at how, <clears throat> excuse me, how Paul processes his world, his Twitter feed, his Facebook posts. How, how does he process and think through what in the world is going on around him? We see in verse 18, the first is, is right up front his conclusion. He's going to state his conclusion in verse 18. He looks around and he says, man, this is what I see. And then he's going to unravel it and give the reason and explanation, the logic on explaining how he sees that. In verse 18, as Paul surveys the rampant ungodliness and the celebration of unrighteousness in his world, he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the first thing we see is this ungodliness and this unrighteousness of Paul. He says it is the wrath of God is being unveiled And what does it produce in him? A strong, eager, fervent, zeal, passion to give them grace. Where do you get that? The very first word, for. Verse 18, for or because. Now what is that? What is that linking back to? Ever since verse 15, he's been telling us why he is so eager to preach the gospel. In verse 15, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is continually being revealed. Because the wrath of God is continually being revealed. And the rampant ungodliness that I see around me. This is why I'm desperate to share the gospel. In Rome. Is that, is that what you think when you read the headlines? Paul says, 
I am desperate to share the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed everywhere I look. Everything I see that just makes me want to cry reveals wrath of God. And the the verbs are both present tense verbs. The gospel is revealing continually the righteousness of God. The sinfulness that I see is revealing continually the wrath of God. And that's why I want to reveal the righteousness of God. Because everywhere I look, I see the desperation for the grace of God. They need to know how to be made right with God. That's what comes out of him when he sees the rampant ungodliness. Is that what comes out of you when you hear these headlines? Oh God, let me share the gospel with them, please. The wrath of God is being revealed. What is the wrath of God? We saw that last week. The wrath of God is not like our wrath. Our wrath always has sin in it. Our wrath is temper tantrum, anger flash, vengeful. God's wrath is not like that. God is right and holy and just and pure and perfect. It is The wrath of God is the correct response to sin. If you kind of resist that, which we all do, it's like, man, how is that love? Well, we understand in love, we love our children, but the, the right response in the context of love to our children includes discipline and correction. The wrath of God is not some temper tantrum of God. It is the holy, just, correct response to sin. We, we understand it when it's, when it's in our favor. If someone commits a crime against your mother... You don't celebrate that. You don't celebrate them being rewarded for their crime. You only feel the right response is justice. They must be brought to justice. That comes from God. That sense of justice comes from God. Wrong, unrightness, unrighteousness. It is right for it to be punished. That's the wrath of God. So Paul says, when I look around me, I see that. I see the wrath of God being continually unveiled. The hot displeasure of God, the settled wrath of God is being revealed continually in the ungodliness and the unrighteousness. And so, if you find it hard to understand that, the verse begins by explaining that it begins with ungodliness and that ungodliness produces an unrighteousness. Ungodly behavior is that which offends God. Unrighteousness is that which is an offense against humanity. Injustice, oppression, wickedness, murder, strife, all of that is fruit of ungodliness. And so it is right for God to bring to justice those who abuse God and abuse people. That's what's right. And we know it's right. Even if it's hard to swallow. In verse 17, 
The righteousness of God is continually revealed in the gospel as being received by faith. In verse 18, the wrath of God is continually being revealed in ungodliness and the subsequent unrighteousness. And how does Paul respond the obvious? Well, they need the gospel. They need the gospel. Students, when you're sitting in the hive and you hear the unrighteousness and the ungodliness coming, I want you to pray, God, let me get them the gospel. When you're at the LSU game in the student section and you see the unrighteousness rampant, may be the one to share the gospel. When you read your Twitter feed and you just are in horror at what you see, I pray God convicts this church. Say, God, let me be the light that they need. Let me bring them hope and grace. That's what Paul's heart says. I pray, he says, I pray, Lord, let me go to Rome. Please, look at the rampant ungodliness. They need the gospel. I pray that's our heart. That's Paul's heart. That's God's heart. So the question of the text is this. How does their ungodliness and their unrighteousness reveal continually the wrath of God? I don't understand that. How, that's a tough text. These are tough concepts. How, and that's where Paul goes. Paul explains from 19 through 32. All right, let me explain how this works. And he begins by cutting the feet right out from under them. Now, I'm going to say they and them like they're out there. Because that's where we are today. But let me just warn you, next week, he turns around and he hammers us, okay? So today it's them, but we're going to find out next week, we them, all right? But I'm going to talk about them today because this is kind of categorically those who are far away from God, those who are irreligious, those who aren't playing the church game, those who aren't putting on a pretty little Christian face, they're out there celebrating sin. And he says, well, let me tell you how this reveals the wrath of God. He says, first of all, verses 19, 20 through 20, because they all knew God. They all knew God. They, those godless people knew God. Yeah, he says, absolutely. They all knew God. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, because that which is known about God is Evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse." So don't, don't stop for a second and think, well, well, they don't know any better. Baloney. 
Paul says, no, 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 no. They knew God. They're without excuse. There's no concept of a noble savage. If they just knew better. No. How do they know? God has made it evident. God has made it clear. Crystal clear. Through creation. That there are... There is an eternal, powerful, divine creator. And the only response to to seeing the mountain and the sunset, to seeing at the end of the day at the lake, and you're sitting on the pier, and the warmth of the glow of the orange setting sun across the glass of the lake hits you, the only response is to say, How do I look? Really? That's what we see humanity does. Because we know the foolishness in that question. At the end of the, at the foot of the mountain, on top of the mountains. The only question is to say, Oh my God. And to humble themselves and to seek to give their lives in gratitude to the creator of such a creation. He says there is no no one is without excuse. There is no excuse. Just wake up and see the sun rise and you know there's a Eternal, divine being, all-powerful creator that you should bow the knee to and give your life in servitude out of gratitude for such a God. That's why it reveals the wrath of God, because they knew God. Verse 21 through 23, though they knew God, they did not worship God. Because they all knew God, but they did not worship God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Here Paul gets to the heart of the problem. Paul says that even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Even though the obvious response is to say, I must give my life in gratitude to this Creator All they did was suppress that truth and exchange the glory that God is and deserves for the glory of a creature or a figure that they could make. Tragically, they suppressed the plain truth about God and refused to worship Him, to honor Him with their life of obedient gratitude. Instead of honoring God and thanking God and worshiping God, they arrogantly and foolishly speculated and developed alternative explanations 
which do not require a dependence and a gratitude to a higher divine being. In other words, they develop explanations which allow them to be God instead of submitting to God. So what did they do in verse 23? They exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image. In verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God is good and glorious. And the only obvious response would be for them to give their lives of ingratitude but their desire to be God, to define knowledge of good and evil for, uh, of their own, to decide for themselves what is right, overcame the obvious truth in their mind. Instead of trusting, honoring, worshiping the Creator, They each try to be the creator and they create their own little idols that they then can worship and serve instead. And therein lies the foolishness. How can you be both God and worshiper of a God at the same time? But that's what happens when you abandon truth. There is nowhere else to go but foolishness. The theories, the speculations, there's futility. Apart from God, everything is futile. Apart from God, the Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says, it's meaningless. It's purposeless. It's pointless. There is no satisfaction in life apart from God. Godlessness leads to unrighteousness, wickedness. And so when that line was crossed of suppressing the truth, no, I'll be God... It starts to unravel. You see, when we decide or when they decide, glad it's about them today and not us. When they decide to, to not worship God, they don't cease to worship because we're hardwired to worship. But when they decide not to worship God, they're going to worship whatever they decide gives them value, purpose, meaning, comfort, safety, security, satisfaction. That's where the allegiance goes. And the foolishness of it all is it doesn't go to the obvious one. It goes to some stupid creature as opposed to the creator. It's foolishness. It's a terrible exchange of the glory of God for the incorruptible glory of God for the corruptible glory of man or creatures. But as Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. This leaves humanity in the foolish position of trying to be God and also worshiping God. It's incoherent. So they all knew God. They all refused to give their lives in gratitude and worship to God. Therefore, God gave them over to themselves. And there's the wrath of God. In verse 24 through 31, three times it says, Paul says in 24, Therefore, God gave them over. 
to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, God gave them over to the degrading passions. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to the depraved mind. The wrath of God in this case is giving them over to themselves. They say, we don't want you, God. We want to be God. And he says, have at it. And let me reveal to you where that leads. Therein lies the love of God. See the end of this path. It's destruction. Turn away and trust me. The ungodliness... Listen to this. This is, this is the crux of how it's unveiling continually the wrath of God. The ungodliness and the unrighteousness that we see all around us is revealing the wrath of God in giving humanity what they want, letting them be their own little gods, letting them create a society according to their futile thoughts and their darkened hearts, letting them be ruled by their own appetites, Romans 16, 18, instead of being ruled by their creator. And this is what you get. So every time he sees the ungodliness and the righteousness and the celebration of it. He says, oh God, I've turned from God. This is the wrath of God that they get what they ask for. A world of insatiable appetite. That's what we're seeing around us. A world of of insatiable appetites. In verses 23 through 32, we see a description of Paul's society where they are ruled by their own appetites that are never satisfied. I think we would all agree it sounds like Paul is reading our Twitter feed. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. God gave them over to be ruled by their appetites. Verse 24 says, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Stop there. This refers to the sin of heterosexual fornication or adultery. Any sex outside of marriage, before marriage or during marriage, outside of marriage is what he's describing here. That's what you get when you don't have God. You get a people who will do whatever it takes to find sexual satisfaction and love no matter what boundaries it takes to cross. And they'll never find it. Because you can't find satisfaction apart from God. That's the heterosexual version. And then verses 26 through 27, Paul says, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman 
and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts. This refers to the sin of same-sex relationships. So we can see what happens when God gives them over to their own insatiable appetites. The problem is not their desire for love. The problem is not their desire for sex. The problem is not their desire for relationship. Those are all gifts from God. Good, beautiful, wonderful gifts from God only to be enjoyed and only to be satisfying when done according to God's design, which is one man, one woman inside the holy matrimony of a covenant relationship. And outside of that, it never satisfies. It's insatiable. In fact, it enslaves that's what idols do. And the same is true for all sin. Why just those are so offensive to us? All of the sin is the same. Same problem. Look at verse 28 and following. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God in order, God gave them other depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Filled with anyone, anyone, I would love to say, all right, if if I read one that you've committed, stand up. I'm not going to do it, but I'm standing, I'll tell you. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and on and on and on. In their depraved minds and their insatiable appetites, hungering for the right things but in the wrong way, They go after the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And then when they don't get it, it leads to envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, and all kinds of evil, inventing evil. James 4, 1 through 2. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Your desires overrule the brain. Eve saw that the fruit was desirous to make one wise. And so she foolishly looked at all that she had in God and said, Nope, I'm going for it. That's what I do. That's what you do. That's what they do. You lust and you do not have So you commit murder, James says. You are envious and you cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel, James says. You do not have because you do not ask with the right motives. All of this sin is the result of God giving them over to their own desires And in verse 32, we see they wholeheartedly practice and even celebrate sin as a result. Verse 32, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they know that. They 
not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval of those who practice them. So here Paul is saying general revelation seen in creation is the reveals to them that they deserve death for not seeking him. They know that. And despite that, their desires overrule that head knowledge. It's not that they can't know, it's that they won't know. And not only do they practice it, but they celebrate it. So the logic goes, they're just trying to be happy. They're just trying to find love. And then you start to go after a few hundred Twitter feeds. Yeah. What's so wrong with that? We've got to know how to think about this. What we should be saying is, you're not going to find it there. It's only found in Christ. And I want you to find it. I love you. I want you to find grace. I want you to know that all those things you want, God gave you the desire for those things. But you can't suppress the truth. You've got to receive it on God's terms. Let God provide it for you. Be made right with God through Jesus Christ by faith. Is that what comes out of you when you hear about what's going on in the world? So when we put all this together, we see how Paul processes and how Paul reacts to all the ungodliness and unrighteousness. It is ungodly and it is unrighteous. And it's celebrated. Paul says it fills him with a passion to share the gospel with them. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Whenever we share the gospel, we reveal the righteousness of gospel over and against the wrath of God that is continually being revealed in their unrighteousness as they suppress the truth about God himself. And so when we see the sin and the ungodliness that produces this unrighteousness, the only logical and the only proper response is to say, oh, I want to share the gospel with them because it's the only way they can be made right with God. Because in creation, we're not seeing the righteousness of God. We're seeing the wrath of God. They need to know how to be made right with God. And it's only through the gospel because it's true and it's necessary. That's why we've got to share the gospel. They will not be made right with God any other way. Do you care about your friends who are going through this unrighteous behavior? Then the only response is to give them the gospel. What are we doing? We're getting mad at them. We're judging them. That is not the answer. The answer 
is the gospel. Grace. Love. Look what Jesus did. He went and ate with them. He went and loved them hard. And he said, come to me. I am the bread of life. I satisfy your hungers. You're misplacing those desires. They will only be satisfied in Christ. That's the proper response to what we see going around us every day. God, make it be true of my heart and of this church. Father God, we thank you for the word of God that came to us in our suppression of the truth, in our love of unrighteousness, in our celebration of ungodliness, and broke us and revealed to us how to be satisfied. And it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. God, make us a gracious people. Make us a people who long to share this good news that you can find soul satisfaction if you stop suppressing the truth. Come to God through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.